Would you pray for our time in the Word and fellowship today?
God, that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Father, oh, how I pray that we truly thank you for the cross. And thank you, Father, that the cross is not only the message that we carry, Father, but it's the resurrected Christ. It's the hope in the resurrected Christ who came from the tomb, who defeated sin and death, stripped them of their power. God, you rose again, Lord Jesus. And now you're seated as you've been ascended into heaven and you're seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You are the ultimate victor. And for those, God, who are in Christ, for those, God, who have a a belief and a confession, God, that you are the Son of God and that you rose from the dead, Father, your word says that they are seated with Christ. (laughs) That we are in Christ. That our identity, Father, is in Christ. We are born again of a new nature, Father. Oh, how I pray that this gospel message will never get old for us, Lord. Or that we seek for something greater than the gospel message, Father. It's the gospel. It's the message in which you've called your people to go forth and to declare and to share boldly, Father. To a dying world. So Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the transformed lives for those who believe upon Christ. We ask for those, God, who are still bound by the enemy, Lord, whose eyes are blinded. Father, God, that you would be pleased to remove the veil and to reveal yourself to them through your son, Jesus. And that all throughout this earth, Father, there would be an abundance in the harvest, Father. That many would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So application, sustained effort, hard work, from the root word apply to give one's full attention to a task to work hard. Here we are coming up soon this week, a closing of another month of this year. And then we're heading into the fifth month of this year, and we're hearing again yet the word application. And how are we doing with that? How are you all doing with that in the day and age in which we are living? when we recognize and we see that the level of deception is rising, warfare, spiritual warfare is intensifying, perversion is rising, murder, destruction, lawlessness is rising, wars and rumors of wars are increasing, famine, distress, poverty, The earth is being shaken. And we, the church, have the good news. 
if we're truly in Christ, we have been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So yet the, the earth is shaken. The church is immovable. She is rooted in Christ. She is preparing for the return of her bridegroom. She's not hiding in a corner. She's not being tainted by the world. She's not giving herself to multiple lovers and surrendering herself to multiple idols. She's not to be living out of what was behind her because she's a new creation. She's been born again of a new nature. We're not identifying with the old. No, we're applying the truth of God's word as the Holy Spirit gives us the, the desire to and the power to to live out what he's called us to. How are you doing? How was your week? How was your morning? Are you seeing that your desire for Christ, for Jesus, is growing even more deeper? I pray that we're just not holding a form of religion. I pray that we're not just walking according to the dictates of the flesh. that we're truly seeking God, that we're truly walking in the Spirit, that we're truly seeking to to be all about our Father's business, to apply. And I love what we've been hearing, and I'm going to keep repeating it. But applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. Just another self-help book. An impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself is with us. The degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come to life in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. You'll know if you are applying the truth of God's Word, if you see obedience in your life. Obedience is the fruit of application. And let us not forget Jesus' words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I ask? We live in a time and an age when I just mentioned everything is on the rise. The church's hunger and depth of truth in Christ should as well be rising. Our roots should be growing down deeper. We are to be burning brighter as the world is getting darker. And I keep encouraging us that we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. 
just ushering ourselves in because we go to church. No, we are the church. And we collectively come together to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up as we come together to put our eyes on Jesus, to focus and fix our eyes upon Him, to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, to be strengthened, to do the will of the Father, to be a people that can walk upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. In a day and age when, quote-unquote, the, the church or the religious institutions... <laughs> want to deconstruct the faith, want to make Jesus common, want to strip the power away from the Holy Spirit and just make this a common, ordinary life. It's not. It is a spiritual life. You are born, if you're truly in Christ, you are born again of a new nature. And we are to be living as such. And this is the Word of God, the living Word of God. From beginning to end, this is what He has given us, as well as His Holy Spirit. You know, remember, Jesus says, I have to go away so that He will come. He being the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, God Himself in us, bringing about His will, His purpose, His plan. See, we've crucified ourselves. To his cross. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ living in and through me. And to go and to change the message so that sinners can feel comfortable in a community that is supposed to be set apart for a holy God. And that's how it's been from the beginning. Even when God called Israel to himself out from the nations. Again, God's plan, God's purpose is that He will have a people that He will call His own and in return they will call Him their God. From beginning to end, Genesis through Revelations and through all eternity, God will have a people that will belong to Him. And God is pleased to reveal Himself to us. Like the giver of life, the author of life, God Himself speaks, reveals Himself to us. And what are we doing daily with that revelation of a holy God calling an unholy person to Himself, an enemy to His throne, to redeem us, to reconcile us back to Him, that we would no longer live broken lives, but we would truly live lives out of wholeness. Oh, we got to wake up. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. Warfare is intensifying. <laughs> and it's out for your soul. The destruction of your soul. This realm in which we cannot see. The world system in your very nature, the flesh nature, wants nothing more than to see the destruction of your soul. And we're focusing our eyes, our thoughts, our desires on everything and everyone else. And God says, no, it's all for me. 
Like you belong to me. Don't worship any other gods. Don't go your way. Like abide in me, Jesus says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are to remain in him. We are to walk and step with the Holy Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. That we live repentive lives. Not just a one-time prayer, but a lifestyle. That we don't open up the door and give a, a right to the flesh to desire what it wants. To keep lying, to keep living in these warped realities that are, that are not even true. Their false sense of reality. And somehow we've created this false sense of salvation for ourselves. Now, we do, not, do we not listen and hear the word of God? I dare say we don't if we're not applying it. That's why application is so vital to the Christian life. And you're living it out empowered by the Holy Spirit. Depending upon Him. I remember what it says in Genesis. Sin crouches out your, at your door. Its desire is to master you, but you must master it. It's moment by moment that we're relying on the Holy Spirit to bring about what Christ accomplished through the cross. The resurrection that stripped sin and death of its power. So why do we keep living as if sin has the greater power? So many times we're working through so much and all what you need to do is just lay it down. Stop trying to work it out. Stop trying to figure it out. Just repent and turn from it. Just lay it down. Stop identifying with it. Learn to apply God's truth so that your mind is renewed and the power of God comes through to lead you in the direction that God has purpose and planned for you. In this day and age where there's so much self-help going on in the church, we've allowed the enemy to come in. And we now need to raise up a standard of righteousness against him. Instead of trying to sort it all out, just die to it. Give it up. Turn from it. Oh, but it hurts. I don't know how. Yes, death is never easy. The Christian walk is not easy. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. And when we're holding on to things, rather they're, they're memories, or rather they're whatever's behind us, or whatever we're still holding on to from our past, Jesus says, if you love it more than me, if it's still the priority in your life, you don't belong to me. These are Jesus' words. Let me go back and say goodbye to my father and mother. No. He says, if you have anything else before him, and you truly don't know him, 
And so we got to wake up, you all. The urgency in the hour in which we live, and it's going to continue to increase. The alarms are being sounded all throughout the earth. And we're to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. And we can't if we're not applying truth. I just keep thinking over this past week, the number of people that, I, that have, I've sat with and God himself has revealed himself to them and they don't even tremble. Maybe in that one second, but then where are they? God himself is revealing himself. even grasp who he is and who we're to be his people his people called out from among the wicked called out from darkness you understand we once served Satan. Our eyes were once blinded. Caught out from the world system. And called into Christ. God himself. Who laid his life down. And took the punishment that we so deserve. There had to have been a payment for sin. And Jesus Christ is the final payment. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So application. I can't stress it enough. I don't know how you're doing. I mean, we all can put on a good face. We all can say a good prayer, but really, where's your heart? How are you taking the truth of God's Word and allowing it to transform your life? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Remember, as you think, so you go. This isn't just a Sunday morning or whenever you feel you're you're comfortable to show up to, to hear the Word of God. No, this is an everyday Lifestyle. You're in the Word. You're living the Word. You're trusting in God. You're walking with God. You're listening to God. You're obeying God. This is the life in which we're called to live. And so you're keeping a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. And I love what it says here. Stay true to what is right. 
Remember when you're applying God's Word and, and obedience is coming forth, discernment is being developed, and you're beginning to understand the distinguish, you're able to distinguish between what is evil and what is good. So stay true to what is right. Stay true to what is good for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. This is application, you all. This isn't just to hear the word, to be hearers of the word. No, but to be truly doers of the word. It is a life transformation that's taken place. It is no longer you who are to be living, but it's Christ living in and through you. Because you're not, you're not recognizing the old any longer. You're recognizing the newness that has come forth from you. And it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with Christ and what he has accomplished. Romans 13. Romans 13 verse 14. Actually, let's go to, let's start at verse 11. So, Carrie, if you could update the notes. Let's do 11 through 14. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And the Word of God says, This is all the more important, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So let's just stop there for a second. Do we hear what the word of the Lord is saying? This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. This was written back then, generations ago. So if it was close then, just think how closer we are now. Just think how close we will be tomorrow and the days to come. Jesus is returning. I can't stress this enough to you all. The urgency of the hour. I keep encouraging you that the world is preparing the stage for the Antichrist. But the church is to be preparing for her Christ. The return of Christ. The true Christ. The resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. So wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. And so with this knowledge, what do you do with it? We'll look at the next verse. This is application. With this understanding, with this knowledge, there is a way in which you are to be living. Not just holding a form of religion. Not just saying, amen, oh, that sounds good. No, but is it truly who you are? Have you been born again of a new nature? Listen, with this knowledge, look, look what the Word of God says. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So with this understanding, so remove. Who does that? You. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of living 
right, of right living. You're putting off and you're putting on. This is how you're living now. You're not justifying your sins anymore. You're not watering down the gospel. You're just not looking to give me a give me a good word. Itch my ears for me. No, no, pierce my heart. Yeah. Like I don't know if you you ask the Lord today. God, I want good soil. I want my heart to be good soil. Father, whatever it takes. God, I don't want the word in which I'm going to hear today to be choked out or snatched out. <laughs> No, God, I want it to take root. I want it to take root. And not because in and of myself I understand this. No, because God, you are pleased to reveal yourself to me through your son, Jesus. And I believe and I confess that Jesus Christ is the risen son of God. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ living in and through me. You've given me the Holy Spirit. Your word says that you've given me everything I need to live a godly life. So I don't know what excuses you or myself keep one of the conjure up to think. <laughs> now we can just keep going the way we want to go. And say, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me. <laughs> Do we understand that he is a holy God. His character has not changed. And so when you hear this, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong. Who? We, the church, belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Decent lives for all to see. Not just when we're in church or around our Christian friends. But for all to see you all. To some you will be a fragrance of light. To others you would be the stench of death. Listen, we've got to live this out, you all. Not on our own strength, but as the Holy Spirit's empowering us to mature us and to grow us. Like... Put on the shining armor of right living. And that's why I keep saying I don't know why we keep giving sin as if sin, especially for Christians, greater power than the resurrection power. I'm only human. No, you're a child of God now. Sin is not to be mastering you. Will you sin? Yes. But what do you do when you sin? You remember Christ and you get up. You repent. You turn. You move forward. But again, the Christian life is a progression being moving forward. You are maturing. War has been waged against the church. But the gates of hell shall not prevail. So you ought to be able to walk upright. And know whom you are depending upon. The newness of this life and the transformation of your life is not dependent upon your strength. It's upon Christ and Christ alone. And so the Bible calls us, the Word of God calls us to do this. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. And here, let's take it a little step further. So what does that look like? So don't participate in the darkness. Don't participate in the darkness. 
of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. That's not for the church, you all. Instead, how then now shall we live? Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. Listen, listen. That old man, that old woman, still within, but it has been stripped of its power. And the only power it can have is what you give it because you give in to those desires. And we're not to be given in to them. We're to be clothing ourselves with the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I don't let myself, and you shouldn't let yourself, think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You understand how critical your thought life is. As you think, so you go. The world system understands this. But the church should have a greater understanding. Because the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. And as you begin to know him, as you begin to be led by the Holy Spirit, as you begin to apply the truth of God's word, you soon are able to, as thoughts come in, to take them captive as the Bible teaches us. Every thought. If you are not engaged in warfare, listen. You're going to be yoked up and chained up and dragged back. But that is not who you're supposed to be any longer. If you're truly a Christian, you're to be able to humble yourself before Almighty God and resist the enemy and he has to flee. You're to take thoughts captive and bring them in under his lordship. You are to use the weapons of your warfare to demolish strongholds that are set in your mind, those pattern of thought That is contrary to the truth of God's word. And how do they get formed? Because you gave the enemy a foothold in your life. Through unbelief. Or through thoughts. That led you to indulge in your evil desires. Galatians tells us. The flesh and the spirit they war against each other. And then it takes it a little bit further. The, 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 what does the flesh produce? And it gives us a list. And then it tells us the fruit of the Spirit. What should be being produced in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control. This is how we're growing. This is how we're maturing. And that's why when we fall, that's why when we stumble, that's why we, when we give in, we recognize, ah, that's of the old nature. We don't have to beat ourselves up. I'm a bad Christian. I can't do every, anything right. 
blah, 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 blah. However we beat ourselves up. No, because you're just looking at self. Get up over yourself and say, oh God, I'm sorry. Why would I settle for that? Oh God, I was purposed and created for you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me conviction that I may get up and press on. In a day and age when the war is on for the souls of mankind, there's so much confusion going on in this generation, and it will only intensify. Only intensify. And when confusion is being made the norm, God, we better wake up. We better wake up. I mean, have you seen the new fad that's going out now? I know you sent me the other night. But that's new. Have you seen the rest of it? No, I can't. And you just go, How, what kind of nonsense are we living? Grown men and women who live as infants because they identify as an infant. And they wear pampers. And the people in their life cater to them as if they're an infant. You can't make this up anymore, you all. I mean, it grieves me. I sat them out and I'm looking. God, they really. I mean, seriously, you can't make stuff up anymore what's going on in the world and throughout the earth. It's chaos. It's confusion. And then it's targeting our youth. You don't understand what this generation is being bombarded with. And then you look at the church and you see what's going on in the church. Like, listen, y'all, I don't know if if you're seeing what's happening out there. In the church... What's coming from pulpits, what the, the, what the teachings that are being taught out there, and then the bickering and the backbiting and the fighting and the strife amongst all the churches. and It's tiresome. And then you have a confused generation of people looking at the church, and the church is confused. So where do they go? Oh, how the people of God need to be the people of God in our generation. We're going to be strange. People are not going to want us around. But that's okay. They didn't want Christ. And so we're called to live in a way that honors Christ. You're clothing yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you are his hands and his feet. You are to go forth and everything you say and do, you represent him. You say, come on, Rob, that's, that's too big of a standard. But that's not my standard. That's God's standard. Do you understand what the price that was paid for you, the blood that was shed for you? Do you understand the power that came forth when that stone was rolled away? Do you understand? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he is returning. All of this is playing out as it has been foretold. And the 
holy word of God. You can't make this up anymore. Like it's getting darker. But we're not to be scared. We're not to quiver. We're not to quake. But how are you living each and every single day when you're getting up? Like how are you depending upon the Holy Spirit every moment, every hour of every day? How are you dealing with your thought life? When you're triggered to get angry, when you're triggered to gossip, when you're triggered to backbite, when you're triggered for jealousy, mm-hmm. when, when you're triggered with lust, mm-hmm. when you're just triggered with all this different stuff that's being offered to you, what are you doing? The Word of God says that you are transformed as your mind is being renewed and you are to actively participate and taking thoughts captive. Because we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness. <laughs> and there's a new Christian movie that's out nowadays. And Lord, every Christian should go see it. But it's intense. I was looking at previews last night. I said, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Woo! It's called Nefarious. I believe this is how you pronounce it. Ain't it? deals with the spiritual warfare. This possessed man. And how the demons are beginning to to get stirred up in this generation. Oh, it's pretty intense. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with spiritual warfare. I don't know if you ever dealt with that side of things in your Christian life. But I'm going to tell you now, the level is rising up. You're going to have to start dealing with it or it'll be dealing with you. Y'all to know that you're able to stand and stand therefore then. You ought to know who your God is and you're not afraid of the demonic realm. But you gotta stop giving the right, your your right of your of your own being and of your life over to this realm, to the world, and to your very nature that just wants to see the destruction of your soul. Don't settle for it. I don't care what your age is. Don't settle for anything that leads to an eternal destruction. You weren't created for the temporalness of life. There's a level of warfare going on that you all can't, we can't even make up any longer. The spirit of deception is rising. It's crazy what's going on. We're not to be cowering down with fear. No, we're to be going forth. And everywhere our feet tread, it shall be given unto us for the glory of God. Go forth and learn what it's like to live as a Christian. Go forth and live as, 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 as one who has been redeemed, reconciled, and grafted in to the family of God. And put off lying, put off deception, put off stealing, Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Deal with those issues in your life and stop hiding them and tucking them away. The Bible says to drag them out into the light. To deal with it. And then to press on. Press on for the glory of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 verse 8. 
actually, go. let's do, carry update it. We're going to do Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 20. Here we go. Get ready. Again, application is what we're talking about. How are you to be living? Not just showing up, but how are you daily engaging, moment by moment, hour by hour, with this new nature? If you're truly in Christ, if you've truly been born again, there's a way in which you're called to live. And it's not as a hypocrite. It's not as someone who treats the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus as common. As if it has no authority and no right and no power. Listen to what the Word of God says. Imitate God. Who? You. When's the last time you pulled yourself in a mirror and looked at yourself and said, stop acting ugly. You are to imitate God. So I keep saying, I don't know how you're talking to yourself. I told you last week, you ought to be the best preacher you have ever heard. You yourself. Like, you got to start living this out. This is real. This isn't just a, a form of religion. It's just not a concept that man has created. No, it's God. The one who spoke and formed it all. He is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus, and then graft you in to his kingdom. And you want to live loose lives? Like again, go back and read Psalm 50. You think his silence is him condoning or approving how you're living? Oh no, he says in his word, Oh, you think by silence I approved of the way you lived? Mm -mm. I'm coming for you. Who's coming for you? God's coming for you. And he's going to tear you apart with his own hands. That's what he says. But then, how in that gracious moment, and you say, that's gracious? Oh, yeah. Because he goes, but if you would just repent, if you would just turn to me, if you would just remember who I am and who you are, that's what it is, you all. Like There's a way in which you're called to live, not as people who don't belong to him, but as people who are called to imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live. Did you hear that? Live a life filled with love. Following what? The example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So with this knowledge, how do you live? The Bible tells you. He doesn't leave us out there to figure it out on your own. Let there be no sexual morality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. No matter what the churches are trying to do today, no matter how the churches are trying to twist God's word and to make him so common, you better know the word. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness of God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. 
Remember, he's writing to the church, the church in Ephesus. He's letting them know that this is how you're living. This is truly your nature. You're not inheriting the kingdom of Christ or of God. Because the reality is, a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And I love this next line. Because remember, he's talking to those in the church. Because he's exposing, the Holy Spirit's exposing what's going on in the church. So don't be fooled. Fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. In the church, you all, where sin is just being excused. Being, oh, it's okay, we're dismissing, it's as if it's nothing. It's, It's just who they are, it's just what they do. It's what they identify with. So let's just sing kumbaya and congregate together and be our own God. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Why? For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Oh, but I don't like to see God that way. What way do you want to see Him? not about you any longer. See, when your eyes are open, I need him to be God, fully God. I don't need him to take on characteristics that I want to give him. That's not what saved me. That's not what transformed my life. That's not what will save you and transform you. Listen to the word of God. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once, you, who, you, were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Did you hear that? There's your encouragement for today. What is being produced within you? That which is good, which is right, and which is true. Carefully. I don't know if you're doing this. Daily. Apply. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, so be careful how you live. Who? You. (laughs) Don't live like fools. People who say there is no God. But live like those who are wise. And I love this next scripture. (laughs) This is what you're to be doing. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. You ought to give thought to your thoughts. <laughs> but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. And make your music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. You are to be one who is filled with gratitude. I don't know how you're living, you all. <laughs> There's a way in which we are called to live. And it, it, it doesn't seem right in our mind and our natural selves, and that nature that is at odds with God's throne. We are his enemy. None of this makes sense. I remember before I became a Christian, on the outside, I looked at Christians like they were nutty. (laughs) But man, now that I'm a Christian, like, yeah, this is how you're supposed to be living your life. Well, it's not, not everything is spiritual. Oh, yes, everything is. Not everything has to be about Jesus. Who says that in the church? Many people. No, everything is. About, listen to what it says there. You can't just pick and choose what you want and create the God that you want. He's God. You're to be thankful. Filled with love. Growing in peace. Walking upright. Oh, but I don't want to be, I don't want to come across as if I'm weak. I'm not going to let anyone run over me. Come on. Listen, you all, there's a way in which we're called to live. And it's about time that the church wakes up. Awake, awake, oh sleeper. Get out of the religious hold and begin to understand what it is to be in relationship with the living God. To be the people of God. Doing the will of God for the glory of God. This is application, you all. This is how you're to be applying truth. The Bible gives you every step you need to live. As you're dependent upon God, if you're truly a believer, God himself in you. And that's why the Bible says that you're not to live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. Listen, you all. Our King is coming. Our King is coming. And man, we ought to be excited. We ought to be sharpening our swords. We ought to be dressed and engaging daily. And not settling. What's going on in here that's affecting all that's going on in here, the very depths of your being? Stop giving yourself the right. You've got to remind yourself that you're dead. If you're truly a Christian, you have nailed yourself to his cross. The Bible says that the call of the disciple that deny themselves, pick up the cross, and follow him. Jesus, as we just read, is our example. Do you know him today? Oh, how I pray you do. Oh, how I pray you do. The attributes of God. Again, a tool that I've been using in hopes to encourage you all to know your God. As you see him, so you'll live. If he's not a great God then you will live weak-willed lives bound to the flesh. And your destination is hell. (laughs) 
And when you know him for who he is, you see him for who he is, and you're humbled before him, and you realize, God, you love me? That you laid down your life for me? Like you gave up yourself for me that I may live the, and, and receive your inheritance? Like, do you know your identities in Christ? Well, you can never fully know your identity in Christ until you truly understand the characteristics of God. And so we've heard many so far. God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never, never changes. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. God is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. God is faithful. He is infinitely, unchangingly true. God is good. He is infinitely, unchangingly kind and full of goodwill. And then this week's attribute that I hope that you take away, that you get the notes, that you sit down with it, and if you really don't understand it, that you just ask the Holy Spirit, like, God, I want to know you as. How does this impact my life? His attribute for this week, God is just. Amen. He is infinitely, unchangingly right and perfect in all he does. In all he does. I said to you before, there's no error in God. Before our eyes are open. We learn of God and we learn that there must be fault in him. Because again, we're still an enemy to his throne. So how do we justify that nature? By saying there must be error in him. Surely there's no error in us. So we take him apart. We pick him apart. (laughs) But when you understand that God is just, Right and perfect in all he does. Even in the things that we don't understand or comprehend. We can still hold on to the fact that, well, he's right and just in it. Like he's God, you all. So listen to this description. God is just. The rock. His work is perfect. For all his, all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he, from Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. What does it mean that God is just? It means more than he is simply fair. It means he always does what is right and good toward all men. Likewise, although this is hard for many to accept, his sentencing of evil, unrepented sinners to hell is also right and good. A natural question that arises from this is, how then can a just God justify the unjust? As the chief of, as if as each of us are without Christ. Well, Tozer answers this by reminding us that we find the answer through the Christian doctrine of justification and redemption. Through the work of Christ and atonement, justice is not violated by Satisfied, but satisfied when God spares a sinner. His mercy, it does not forbid him to exercise his justice, 
nor does his justice forbid him to exercise his mercy. He is both fully merciful and fully just. In light of God's other attributes of goodness, mercy, love, and grace, there are some who might, in error, say that God is too kind to punish the ungodly. But to believe this means we dull the reality of his infinite, unchanging justice. God will have justice for sin, either from Christ's atoning death or for those who will not accept it, eternal wrath in hell. Let's assume that all men are guilty of sin in the sight of God. From the mass of humanity, God sovereignly decides to give mercy to some of them. What do the rest get? They get justice. The saved get mercy, and the unsaved get justice. Nobody gets injustice. God, you all. God is just. And that's what I always say to you. Like When you know Him, and you're in fellowship with Him, and you're led by Him, like when you are challenged by unbelievers, you'll be able to speak that which is true. That's why I tell you all the time, when, I, when you're out there doing ministry or you're just talking to people, they're quick, they're quick, they're quick to challenge you about God, the nature of God. Well, how can a loving God do such a thing? How can He not? I don't know if you ever said that, but be ready to respond when you do. I love saying that to people who want to go toe-in-toe with me. But how can a loving God do this or allow this? How can He not? And they look dumbfounded. Because he's a just God. You ought to know him. Stop questioning him in a way that leads you away from him and pointing your finger at him as if he's the one with the problem and start seeking him and seeking him with all of your heart. The Bible says if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him, with your whole heart, with your whole being, you all. We don't have to make excuses for our God. I don't know how you're living among unbelievers. You ought not to be acting like them and going along with them. You ought to be a standard in front of them, not fighting with them, not beating them up and pounding them over the head with the Bible. They have a right to live however they want. But you do not have a right to make God common in front of them. You have the standard within you. And so you're to uphold it. Not that you're better than them. No, again, Christ is our example. He humbled himself. He became a servant to those that are an enemy against them. It'll do us some good to just to get out there and live upright. They're going to hate you anyways. Some will. And others, they'll be like, man, something's different about you. I mean, the opportunities that I've had to share the gospel, the opportunities that I've had just to sit down with people, and a lot of times, especially if they're really, if they're unbelievers, they've never, really, you know, they, they have this wrong, twisted concept of a pastor and of, a, of the church. Like they sit there and they just go, 
Wow. Like you're not intimidated by me. You you you're, you haven't you know beat me over the head with the Bible. You haven't you know forced me to say a prayer. Force anyone to say a prayer. I can't save you. But if you're going to inquire about the God in whom I serve, I want to tell you about him. I'm going to give you just the same opportunity that I was given. I'm going to hope and pray that that the seed that has been planted or the seed that has been watered, that it would come to pass. Because God is pleased to reveal himself to you. I don't have to condemn you. Nor do you stand condemned. All of us do, apart from Christ. See, there's a way in which we're called to live, you all. And in the generation that's dying, like the church, we're to be the standard of righteousness that's being raised up. Again, as long as the church is on this earth, there's still hope. <laughs> were to be about our father's business like we have a whole new purpose of living now that's why it blows my mind that the masses of Christians and I use that term lightly just keep making excuses for sin just keep living and running amok reckless lives and I just go God so again we're, we're, you understand what you're what you're up against each day that you give up. If you get up, if you're a Christian, not only are you dealing with the loss, but you're dealing with the loss inside the church who thinks they're saved. It's chaos. But oh, rejoice, rejoice. And therefore, again, I say rejoice. <laughs> because Jesus is returning. And it's not time to give up or give in. It's time to stand up and move on. Offer hope to people, you all. The Heidelberg Catechism, again, another tool I've presented to us in hopes to build your faith so that you're able to defend the faith. And not just wait for the preacher or for the evangelist or for the intercessor or for this person or that person or someone else in the church to do. No, no, no. You ought to be growing. You ought to be maturing. So we're still part, we're still in the Lord's Prayer. What does the fifth petition mean? And here's the fifth petition Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtor. Debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are. Any other sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined, as evidence of your grace in us, to forgive our neighbors. That's what that fifth petition means. Scriptures are there for you to go back and study this week. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 19 is where we're picking up. And we're going through chapter 21. So pay attention as the word of the Lord is being read over us. Go turn to it in your Bible or pull it up in your phones. You're not going to want to miss this portion of Scripture. Remember, Chronicles 
is written to a people, and I can't say it enough, and I'm hoping it's sinking in. It's written to a people who are being led out of captivity, placed back into their land, but they don't have no identity. As it is with us, we are slaves. We are captive by sin. We are delivered from our captivity, and now we're placed into a kingdom that we don't know how to identify with. So we must grow. We must know who our God is. And this is what the Chronicle is doing. He's reminding the people of God who their God is and how they are to worship Him. And He's writing out the history. And it's a history that we've already read before from Kings and Samuels. It's just repeated. But it's so important that we understand the importance of, of, of this book. That's the importance of the whole word. But when I hear that First Chronicles and Second Chronicles are usually the least read books as from Christians, I said, God, help us. No, we should treasure every word, yes. no matter what book it's coming from, because it's there for us. So, chapter 19, verse 1 through 21. Carrie, would you play the scripture for us? David defeats the Ammonites. Playing from Carrie's iPhone. The Ammonites died and his son Hanan became king. David said, I am going to show loyalty to Hanan because his father Nahash was always loyal to me. So David sent messengers to express sympathy to Hanan about his father's death. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commander said to Hanan, Do you really think these men are coming here to honor your father? No, David has sent them to spy out the land so they can come in and conquer it. So Hanan seized David's ambassadors and shaved them, cut off their robes at the buttocks, and sent them back to David in shame. When David heard what had happened to the men, he sent messengers to tell them, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow out, and then come back. For they felt deep shame because of their appearance. When the people of Ammon realized how seriously they had angered David, Hanan and the Ammonites sent 75,000 pounds of silver to hire chariots and charioteers from Aram Nearim, Aram Meeka, and Zobah. They also hired 32,000 chariots and secured the support of the king of Meeka and his army. These forces camped at Medibah, where they were joined by the Ammonite troops that Hanun had recruited from his own towns. When David heard this, he sent Joab and all his warriors to fight them. The Ammonite troops came out and drew up their battle lines at the entrance of the city, while the other kings positioned themselves to fight in the open fields. When Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, he chose some of Israel's elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Arameans in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will help you. Be courageous. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. When Joab and his troops attacked, the Arameans began to run away. And when the Ammonites saw the Arameans running, they also ran from Abishai and retreated into the city. Then Joab returned to Jerusalem. The Arameans now realized that they were no match for Israel, so they sent messengers and summoned additional Aramean troops from the other side of the Euphrates River. These troops were under the command of Shobah, the commander of Hadadezer's forces. 
When David heard what was happening, he mobilized all Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and positioned his troops in battle formation. Then David engaged the Arameans in battle, and they fought against him. But again, the Arameans fled from the Israelites. This time, David's forces killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Shobach, the commander of their army. When Hadadezer's allies saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they surrendered to David and became his subjects. After that, the Arameans were no longer willing to help the Ammonites. Chapter 20, David Captures Rabbah. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, Joab led the Israelite army in successful attacks against the land of the Ammonites. In the process, he laid siege to the city of However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. When David arrived at Rabbah, he removed the crown from the king's head, and it was placed on his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems, and he found that it weighed 75 pounds. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah and forced them to labor with saws, iron picks, and iron axes. That is how David dealt with the people of all the Ammonite towns. Then David and all the army returned to Jerusalem. Battles against Philistine giants. After this, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. As they fought, Simakai from Husha killed Saph, a descendant of the giant, and so the Philistines were subdued. During another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, son of Jair, killed Lamai, the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of Lamai's spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shimei. These Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. Chapter 21. David Takes a Census Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Take a census of all the people of Israel, from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north, and bring me a record so I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over, but why, Lord the king, do you want to do this? Are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? But the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab traveled throughout all Israel to count the people. <laughs> then he returned to Jerusalem and reported the number of people to David. There were 1,100,000 warriors in all Israel who could handle a sword, and 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census because he was so distressed at what the king had made him do. Judgment for David's sin. God was very displeased with the census, and he punished Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and said, These are the choices the Lord has given you. You may choose three years of famine, 
three months of destruction by the sword of your enemies, or three days of severe plague, as the angel of the Lord brings devastation throughout the land of Israel. Decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad. But let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 people died as a result. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But just as the angel was preparing to destroy it, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that is enough. At that, the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth, with his sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. So David and the leaders of Israel put on burlap to show their deep distress, and fell face down on the ground. And David said to God, I am the one who called for this census. I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? O Lord my God, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people. David builds an altar. Then the angel of the Lord told Gad to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him through Gad. Aruna, who was busy threshing wheat at the time, turned and saw the angel there. His four sons, who were with him, ran away and hid. When Aruna saw David approaching, he left his threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. David said to Aruna, Let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price. Then I will build an all lord there, so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord the king. And use it as you wish, Aronis said to David. I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, and the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all to you. But King David replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. So David gave Aruna 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David prayed, the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven to burn up the offering on the altar. Then the Lord spoke to the angel who put the sword back into its sheath. When David saw that the Lord had answered his prayer, he offered sacrifices there at Aruna's threshing floor. At that time, the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering that Moses had made in the wilderness were located at the place of worship in Gibeon. But David was not able to go there to inquire of God because he was terrified by the drawn sword of the angel of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So much there. I want to hone in on a few of these scriptures. Chapter 21, verse 1. The parallel text in 2 Samuel says God calls David to take the census because he was angry at Israel. Does this mean David had no choice but to sin? Also, doesn't this contradict the Apostle James' statement that God does not tempt anyone? There is no contradiction if we maintain a biblical understanding of the complete sovereignty of God. Humans and angels are free, but not as free as God. He accomplishes his good with will, his good will through primary causes, creation and miracles, and secondary causes, 
providence, and free choices. Further, God's control, which extends over all things, rightly uses all free actions, good or evil, for his glory. The chronicler here merely clarified that God let Satan tempt David to call for the census in order to accomplish his divine purpose, much like he let Satan attack Job. Chapter 21, verse 7. As the king of Israel, David played a special representative role in God's relationship with his people. When David sinned, the people bore some of the responsibility and vice versa. This is also a key principle in understanding the nature of our salvation in Christ, of whom David was a type. King Jesus, the true son of David, represents before God all those who have placed their faith in him. Since Christ was perfect, we are represented as perfect. Since we are sinful, Christ suffered the punishment for our sin. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Chapter 21, verses 8-9, through 9, David humbly repented, is what the chronicler wants the people of God to do when they sin. Because of David's response, God graciously gave David a choice in the administration of Israel's punishment. Chapter 21, verses 11 through 13, God was teaching David a lesson in the midst of his punishment. Though David had distrusted God by determining his military strength through a census, his choice of punishment showed a renewed trust in God. David chose a punishment directly from God because he believed that God is merciful. Indeed, God did cut the punishment short after David and the leaders Verse 15 of chapter 21. The Hebrew text actually says, Angel of the Lord, which is a manifestation of God himself appearing throughout the Old Testament. This figure of God's special messenger who accomplished special functions during the history of Israel, sometimes he was a guide and a protector, and sometimes he was a destroyer. Whatever his function, his purpose was to preserve Israel's special relationship with God. He was a physical incarnation of God's grace to his people. Because of this, and the fact that John 1, 14-18 says, Jesus Christ is the unique Son of God, the glory of the Father revealed to us, we can identify the angel of the Lord as the pre-incarnate Christ. Verses 18 through 19 of chapter 21. In the Bible, atonement requires that sacrifices be made to pay for sin's guilt. Since the threshing floor of Aruna was where the sword of the angel of the Lord was stopped, it became the place where God's mercy was poured forth. It became holy ground, a place of forgiveness. Today, forgiveness is attained through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is the superior way to God, and he is God with us. Chapter 21, verse 22 through 24, the chronicler was encouraging his readers to respond in complete devotion when it comes to worship. 
And finally, verses 26 through 27 of chapter 21, when God consumed the sacrifice with fire, it was a sign of his presence and pleasure in the worship. By showing God's approval of David's sacrifices and the angel's withdrawing of his sword, the chronicler made clear to his people that the place of the temple was instituted by none other than God himself. This is our God, you all. He is he's in part of every single detail from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to our generation. He is still sovereign and in charge. What God has planned, what God has purposed, He is bringing about. And that's His church. Oh, how we can take great comfort in knowing who our God is. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through chapter 3, verse 8. We pick up in Romans. Paul is addressing God's anger at sin, God's judgment of sin. And then now he's turned and he's focusing, because remember this church is made up now of Jews and Gentiles who have come to Christ, who have put their faith into Christ. And so Paul is dealing with some of the old habits, some of the old mindsets, some of the old religious thoughts, <laughs> And motivations of the Jews. And really bringing it back to Christ. Like it's all Christ. It's nothing of us. It's, it doesn't matter how religious you are. What matters is Christ and what Christ has accomplished. So Paul picks up here and says, The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you, Jews, who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And, I love this, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is, oh, listen to this, and this is for all Jew and Gentile, is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. We're moving on to chapter 3, verse, to verse 8. God remains faithful, you all. It says here, Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? If there, if, is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes. There are great benefits. First of, all, first of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful does not mean God will be unfaithful. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people to see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. 
Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people (coughs) even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. And you say, what on earth does all that mean? Well, this is what was going on in the church in Rome. It was introduced basically, keep sinning, keep sinning, and sin more and sin more. Because the more that we sin, the more God's grace is going to be displayed. And Paul is like, what kind of chaos is going on in this place? No, no. And that's how we ought to be today. We ought to be able to defend the faith. Instead of just letting things just go because it's stamped with Jesus' name. But the reality is, is that line up with the truth of God's word and ultimately his character. See, when man gets involved, man makes it all about them. And man gives themselves the right to live however they want. But oh, how we ought to know our God and then live for our God. And to be able to testify of our God. And so I love the correction that Paul is bringing to this church so that they would be established in truth, you all. Go to Psalm Psalm 11. That's where we're heading. Psalm 11, the book of Psalms. Oh, how again, I pray that as we're going again through the book of Psalms, because we've already been through it before, is that it encourages us to lift up our eyes. These psalmists are as transparent, as transparent as one can be. They know their God. They know what they're enduring. They're not turning and running from their God. They're stating a fact and then they're looking up reminding themselves of who their God is. That's why I love what we just read in First Chronicles where David, God said, okay, here's your three choices. And David says, I'd rather fall into your hands yeah. than my enemies. It's like, wow. You're talking about having a right image of God. Because like, I know you to be merciful. And I love it when David prays, oh Lord, Search me, test me, see if there's any wicked way within me. I'm like, wow. But of course he can pray that way because he knows his God. He knows his God. Oh, that we would know our God, you all. Oh, how I would encourage you to to keep a journal. (laughs) Begin to write out whatever you're facing, but then write out the truth of who your God is who will get you through it that you would begin to understand the character of your God, if he's truly your God, and that you'd begin to live in such a way that honors him. In this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer, you all. He's already overcame it. So we can live out, not out of, the, out of a place of despair and defeat, but we can live out of, out of the place of victory, his victory. So it shifts our mindset. So many times we pray, oh God, you know, God fix this, do this, blah, blah, blah. And so we play from this place of, of, of a wrong image. 
Like you should be able to go ahead and thank him for what God is going to do in the midst of it. And we say, oh God, you know, and, I, and I've always said to you, you have not because you've asked not. So when the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you're lacking in peace or you're lacking in self-control or you're, or, or you're lacking in whatever area it is, don't go beating yourself up because in and of yourself, you would never conjure up within yourself that that needs to be revealed to you. No, that's God at work in your life revealing to you. So then asking, my Lord, I don't know what it is to have peace. The Holy Spirit, would you teach me? Whatever it takes for me to be taught how to have self-control, how to not lie so easily, how to not manipulate situations, how to not to, to keep clinging to this. No, God, just, just help me. Like, Holy Spirit, this, this doesn't shock you that this is where I'm at. Like, you're, you're revealing this to me because you're gracious and you're kind and you're loving. And so help me to walk it out that I may have the victory in Christ in this. Ah, so the book of Psalms, there's so much encouragement that you can find. So here's a psalm that King David penned. I trust in the Lord for protection. Ah, how beautiful is that? So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safely? The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on their bowstrings. They shoot from the shadows at those who, whose hearts are right. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? My God, if that's not our day and age too. <laughs> oh, but praise be to God. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. Oh, come on, you all. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. But for the righteous, for the righteous, the Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. Oh, come on. You see the strength that you can gain just from those seven verses? That you would know God. And that none of this is taking him by surprise. We don't have to quiver and quake. Yes, we see what's going on, but ultimately all of this, all of this, God will deal with. Those who are virtuous, those who are his people, the promise and the hope that we have in the midst of this chaos, you will see his face. Oh, come on. Go to Proverbs. We're ending. Proverbs 19. <clears throat> Proverbs 19. Oh, I pray that you're encouraged today. Oh, Proverbs 19, verse 10 through 12. Some nuggets of wisdom to, find, to end our time with. Proverbs 19, 10 to 12. Here we go. It isn't right for a fool to live in luxury, 
or for a slave to rule over princesses. Sensible people control their temple. I'm sorry. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Wow, that's a good one. The king's anger is like a lion's roar, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Ah, there is a way, you all, in which we're called to live, and it's for the glory of God. Let us worship our king, and then I'll close us in prayer.
Thank you, Father. 